you will open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Before we really get into the message, I want to make a confession. It's always good for the pastor to confess before we have a sermon. And before we begin a new sermon series, um, I, I came up with the title of our series for Christmas. You know, I always like to have something Christmassy for a title for a sermon series, Christmas in the Heartland. Because we've been talking about the heartland, and it is Christmas. It fits real well. But in preparing uh, this series, I could not get my mind off of where we were in the book of Acts. You know, uh, we finished Acts chapter 7 in our previous series, and I was compelled to just continue in the book of Acts. So, Christmas actually uh, transcends time, and the heartland is where we are and wherever we go. And so, during Christmas time, our focus is going to be on what God is wanting to share with us as a church here in the heartland about Christ and the work of the churches that was happening that was very unique and actually different than the model that we see today. You can study out the model of how church is done today and where all that came from over a process of, you know, hundreds of years and look at what was happening in the book of Acts and you will see that it really, you know, doesn't totally match. So that's my confession. We're going to talk about Christmas in the heartland, but we're going to stay right in the book of Acts because that is uh, what the Lord has been uh, burning in my heart, and I believe that's where we need to be as a church to see where we are. It all started with the birth of a little baby, Jesus. He caused quite a ruckus in his birth. Because the people around him were not willing to accept him or believe that he was truly the Messiah, the promised one, the one they had been looking for for all of these years. And yet there were a remnant of people who recognized this is the Messiah. We have been waiting for him. We are glad he has come. In his life and in his death, He continued to cause a stir everywhere he went. And he angered the religious system of the day. He caused a lot of very religious and good people a lot of heartache and pain because he was there. Being who he was. Being God in the presence of people. And so Jesus was there. Uh, lived his life, died on the cross, and his people continued to cause quite a stir. 
I mean, we notice in chapter 7 that one man by the name of Stephen, because he was telling the world about Jesus, the Messiah, who was born, who lived his life, and who died on a cruel cross and rose again and is at the right hand of the Father, he preached that to them. And because he preached that to them, they stoned him to death. And that's where we pick up here in chapter 8 of Acts. Verse 1. Now when Saul was consenting to his death, Stephen's death, at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to speak to us here today. We know the message that you have for us straight from your word is so important for us to grasp. And I just ask you that that we would listen to you and hear you through your Holy Spirit teach us truth that we might be the people of God that you want us to be. Thank you again for loving us and for giving us strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1843, Charles Dickens wrote a book that would become very popular, and especially this time of year. Even though it's been 170 years since he wrote the book, entitled A Christmas Carol. But later in 1859, he would write the book, The Tale of Two Cities. In that book, we find the beginning of the book, a quote, that pretty much depicts what was happening in the time of Jerusalem. And I want to read the beginning of the book to you. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of skepticism. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. As I thought of that quote, even though the reference to what Dickens was writing referred to France, I I saw a tremendous similarity as to what was happening in the early church, and not only what was happening in the early church, but from a spiritual standpoint, what is happening in our culture today in the work of the Lord. Truly, it is the best of times, but it is the worst of times. 
And for the apostles and the early church, in their celebration and worship to God, seeking the will of God and being very effective in their evangelism and in reaching the masses of people for the cause of Jesus Christ. That was the best of times. But we see that it very quickly turned to the worst of times for them. As we notice that, the worst of times, we see in the first three verses that we have read some of the description as to what was actually taking place. And remember, we had previously talked about the thousands of people who were coming to Christ. Households uh, were, were coming to Christ. And more and more people were hearing about the grace of God, understanding the gospel of Jesus, committing their lives. And it was as if a storm was going on, a spiritual storm that was brewing that was affecting the lives in a positive way of so many people. And yet the government and the religion of the day decided it's time to put a halt to this because it was growing so quickly. So yes, it was the best of times, but it was the worst of times. We find the church in a tough spot. Stephen now had been martyred. Only for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 1 that at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. It was not just an isolated incident that Stephen was stoned. But the Bible tells us here that it was uh, very far reaching in Jerusalem. Yes, thousands had come to know the Lord. Now thousands are being persecuted. You find the description here that they were being persecuted. And as a result of that, they were scattered throughout the region. People went to different locations to live because it was getting so tough to survive in the city of Jerusalem. It says in verse 3 that Saul, a man who... You know, we almost idolize uh, and we have high regard for because of the fact that after his conversion, he was the Apostle Paul. But at this time, Saul, it says, had made havoc of the church, the church at Jerusalem, the church that was scattered throughout the city of Jerusalem. Now they were tearing it to pieces. What were they doing? Entering every house. They didn't have a church building like we have today. They didn't come together uh, in a particular building to have corporate worship like we understand. They worshiped in their houses. And so as they were worshiping God, we find that the soldiers were coming in and taking them out of their houses and putting them in prison as just simply because... They were preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ. So it says that they dragged them off, men and women, and put them into prison. The church at Jerusalem had begun to be persecuted to the point that many just could not stay any longer. It does tell us that the disciples, the apostles, stayed in Jerusalem. But as far as many of the other believers, they 
they moved. And if you want to think about that for just a moment, how tough that must have been, how difficult it might have been for the people in the early church after having experienced such a high of having all of their sins forgiven, having the Spirit of God move into their heart, having their lives changed, and they were rejoicing, and now they're having to leave their stuff and their families and their houses and everything they have always known and their way of life behind and just get out to survive. And that's what he described. It truly was the worst of times. It was beyond our comprehension because we have had the privilege of living in America where we live in the land of the free, where we have had the opportunity to worship God without the intervention of the government or any great religious power stopping us. It has been a wonderful stint that we have had in America being able to worship God. There is no guarantees, though, that we will always have that privilege, that we will always be so privileged to be able to worship God in this capacity or in any capacity without the concern that we might have someone come in to drag us out because of our preaching of Christ. So as we look at the early church, we understand that now they are struggling. Now it seems that, you know, they're on the verge of being stamped out because they're going through such hardship, such difficult times. But wasn't necessarily the case. Their faith was such that they could not compromise and they could not hide. They had been impacting their world. They had been making a difference. And now that privilege had been taken from them. So what did they do? As they picked up to move and change their location, their hearts stayed the same. Their passion remained. They did not forget what had happened to them. And when they entered into new areas, they moved to new locations, to different cities throughout the region, it says. They began right there where they were, building relationships and sharing the gospel and starting new churches right where they were. Now, when you look at this from our perspective, it seems that God already had this orchestrated and that maybe the church at Jerusalem had gotten comfortable with the way things were and, and they were just going to sit there and enjoy that and reach as many people as they could and not even remember the words that were spoken to them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where the Bible taught them to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. You're not just going to stop at Jerusalem, which reminds us that, yes, our Jerusalem is vital. It is so important that we be plugged in to making a difference and impacting lives right here 
where we are planted, not to do that is in violation with the Word of God. But that is not the end of our responsibility. Because God calls us, Unity Baptist Church, to go into the entire world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it was tough times. It was difficult. It was beyond anything that any of us have ever experienced. Although I would say that there are believers in the world today and churches in the world today who are suffering persecution similar to what they suffered only because they are preaching about Jesus, the Messiah, and how he can change their lives. It was the worst of times. But it was also the best of times because God was doing such a work in them and through them. And the Bible doesn't tell us about everyone and their individual story. You know, because there were thousands who had come to the Lord. They were going in different areas and they were making up different churches and different groups in different areas. But the Bible doesn't tell us all the stories. But the Bible does focus here in chapter 8 on one person in particular whose name is Philip. In verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Those who were scattered. Now, who was it that was scattered? It was the church at Jerusalem. It was people other than the apostles. And they went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Again, God confirming and affirming the words that Philip was speaking, showing these signs and wonders. And just as a reminder, which I always like to do, God confirms and affirms the preaching of the Word of God today and the teaching of the Word of God today through His Word, which He has provided for us. And so we don't need the things that they had that day to prove that this man is of God. So the gospel was being preached, obviously, and people were being saved. They were going everywhere sharing the message. So our our attention turns to Philip. And you will already remember Philip, his name has been mentioned before in Acts chapter 6. He was a deacon, Philip, a deacon. Remember Stephen, who had been stoned to death in chapter 7, was a deacon. Now he's dead. It's as if Philip is stepping up after the stoning of his brother in the Lord, Stephen, And began to share the message. Later in Acts 21 and 8, you will find that Philip was called Philip the Evangelist. 
In other words, he is the guy who is sharing the good news. That's what an evangelist does. He tells the good news, shares the gospel with people. And that's what he was known as because he went around preaching the gospel and people responding to the gospel. We notice that Philip brought the gospel, which resulted in great joy. It was the best of times for the people who came under the hearing of the gospel through the work of Philip. It was the best of times. They were not suffering persecution as they were in Jerusalem. They had some freedom and they were responding to the gospel that was being preached. Verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. Now, what brings us joy? We sing this time of year, joy to the world. The important part of that is, the Lord is come. That is what brings joy during Christmas time or any time during the year. Jesus Christ is the one who brings joy to our lives. And if you can revisit the day when you responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will remember that one of the things you experienced was great joy in your heart. That was indescribable, joy unspeakable, and full of glory. That's what we experienced. And so as he shared the gospel, there was great joy signifying to me that it was the best of times. And it certainly was for those people as they were experiencing that. Philip then preached to the people of Samaria. And it says, and everywhere to everyone. Write that down. Everywhere to everyone. First of all, you notice that he was in Samaria, which was not... Uh, necessarily a good place for a good Jew to go and spend time uh, because the Samaritans were half-breed, half-Jews, half-Gentiles. They were hated by both, and the feeling was mutual. And so this is where God moved Philip to, right in the middle of a people group who were hated. But while he was there, he had great success. Why? Because he preached the gospel. In verse 9 it says, But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, Both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Philip was there in Samaria sharing the gospel, willing to go to anyone and everyone. I have a feeling that we are very particular about who we are willing to share the gospel with. You know, we're looking for people just like us. We're looking for people who seem to have it all together. 
you know, we want to reach people who are, who are moving on up. And how's that working for you? It's not working very good. Because those people rarely are looking for a change in their lives. Everything is going their way. But when you look at people whose lives are downtrodden and they're troubled and they have realized they don't really have it all figured out. Maybe they're the underdog. Maybe they are even rejected by society in general. You find that those kinds of people are often open to hear the gospel. So who should we pick? I will just tell you who Philip picked. He went to everyone, everywhere, because only God knows the hearts of people. And God may have been dealing with a person long before you arrived, regardless of their class or stature or economic ability. God has their heart. So the point is, Don't discriminate. Go to everyone, everywhere. Look for an opening with anyone and everyone to share the gospel. That's what Philip was doing. And he was having great success. Men and women, even people who considered themselves to be very important like Simon. We're coming to Christ. Peter and John came to visit him, and we're not going to get into all of the... There's no way to cover the entire chapter, but the point I want us to see from Peter and John's visit was that they preached the gospel to many villages in Samaria, verse 25. They had testified and preached the word of the Lord, and they returned to, to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages in of the Samaritans, and we see that was foremost on their mind, sharing the message. And then Philip had the opportunity by the call of God to preach to an Ethiopian man, and we find that he later rejoiced in his salvation. It was a great time for him. You see, it was the best of times because people were ready to hear the message. It was the best of times because there was someone actually there to share the message. People were responding. They were experiencing a life change. They were not just conforming to a different belief system. They were being totally changed from the inside out through the power of God. You'll read how Philip opened his mouth and beginning at Isaiah 53, preached Jesus to this Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian said, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. 
And so he baptized him. Rejoicing. Another Christmas song that we uh, sing or hear occasionally, Good Christian men rejoice. With heart and soul and voice, give you heed to what we say. News, news, Jesus Christ is born today. We should be rejoicing. And Christmas time to me is a time of rejoicing. We are rejoicing, but there are many around us today who are having the worst times of their lives. And they could have the best time if we would share the message with them. We also notice about this Philip guy. He continued to preach everywhere he went. Verse 40. Philip was found in Azotus and passing through. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea where he finally landed and that's where he stayed put. But everywhere he went, he was sharing the gospel. He brought up his children to love God and to serve God. And even his daughters, the Bible tells us, were diligent about sharing the message of God. That's what they were about. But he continued to preach. Do we have something to preach? Do we have something to share? And I realize the word preach today, you know, is only reserved for a few in the minds of people. People who are called to preach, which I feel very strongly that I am called to preach. But to understand the word, it means to herald to share, to speak forth the riches and the grace of God. And so God would have every one of us sharing the message. He wants all of us to reach out to people everywhere, all people, that they might come to Christ. I want to share a few practical things from this passage again to just repeat and drive them home. First one is this, don't always assume, and these notes are on the back if you haven't seen them there. Don't always assume that life will be comfortable. Now that is our big thing in America. We want to live in the lap of luxury. We want comforts all around us. And we have lived that way. We have progressed in America to the point where we are spoiled to death And we don't realize that 80% of the world population live on dirt floors. We are so far beyond the rest of the world. We can't comprehend that. We are so blessed and so spoiled. We should not assume that life will always be comfortable. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be times of pain and grief. There there could even in this nation we love, we could wake up and find out that our own nation is against 
what we believe in so passionately. In times of hardship, yet even in times of hardship, there is victory. No matter how bad it gets in the world, there is victory and there is rejoicing. So even in the worst of times, it can be the best of times when we bond in this relationship with Jesus Christ and show other people the way to him. Another practical thought that I had from reading this is that We need to stop focusing so much on doing church and and how we do church a certain way and start focusing on being the church 24 hours a day. We are the church. So a lot of times we come to church. We are doing church while we're at church. When we leave, we assume church is over, we're done. That is not the case. That is not the model you find in the New Testament. We are the church. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you play, you are representing Jesus Christ. You are the church. We must change the way we think about that. The gospel, the gospel, Jesus Christ, turns the worst of times into the best of times. Whether you are imprisoned in a dungeon with a little bread and a little water day in and day out, like many of our predecessors were, or even being tortured and martyred. The worst of times, from a physical standpoint, can be the best of times from a spiritual standpoint. Even the man Stephen experienced that as he was looking right at Jesus with his last breath and and representing him so well when he said, don't lay this sin to their charge. So, during this Christmas season, I want us all to understand that not everyone is having a great time. I love... I love Christmas. It's a, you know, I just love the holiday. I love the way it feels and the songs. And uh, I mean, I've been listening to Christmas music for a while already. I just, I just love it all and the fun of it all. Um, but you know, not everybody's having such a good time. It may be the worst time of their life. This may be their worst Christmas they have ever experienced. And that's why we all need to draw near to the Lord. That's why we so desperately need one another, to cling to one another, to encourage one another, to love one another, to help one another through it all. 
Because times are hard for people. But I will say this. Without Jesus and without him coming, time would be, life would be miserable. And there would be no reason to celebrate. So I want this Christmas season, if you're doing well and everything is good, just to be a great time for you. But don't forget those who are suffering. But if you're suffering and you're going through hard times, I want you to be able to look back at at December of 2013 and think, you know, my church family, they came up and they rallied and they carried me through. And looking back, it was the best of times because God was there and he made himself real to me. Much what the disciples, the followers of Jesus were experiencing in hard times.